Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you! More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all, with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, and I am your guide in this raucous journey of coping with the creative life. Fueled by your questions, we explore the trials and travails of productivity, discipline, art, and finances in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1075. Today we hear from Ed, who asks, How will the coming demographics collapse and the unraveling of globalization alter the AI revolution? The most obvious way is it could completely derail it. What does it take to run a tech revolution? I'm actually going to ask you this, because rather than me just giving all the answers, the conversation will be more fun. So, Kitty, as the audience proxy, what does it take to run a tech revolution? Uh, power and technology and resources to make the technological, technological thingy, but bobs. What are the resources that are important? Um, aside from people with brains, uh, there are different kinds of metals. Money. Money, okay. You need money, easy credit, and you need people with brains. Now, with the demographics collapse, what are the two things that are leaving the system? People with brains and money. Mm-hmm. So, when you listen to people like Balaji Severinsen, I can never pronounce his last name unless I'm looking at it, because it's very long and very Hindi. But Balaji has this idea, and several... Um, Several of his intellectual fellow travelers have the idea that the AI revolution is going to ease the pressure on the labor markets created by the demographic collapse to keep productivity high. The problem is when you have a demographic collapse, you don't need to keep productivity high because there's no one to consume what you're building. The actual win is using AI to find a way to keep costs low at low levels of output because your demand curve falls off as your population of 20-somethings shrink because the 20-something demographic is the large consumer demographic. Once you get to about 30, 35, you're just not buying things anymore. Statistically speaking. Because you already have a spatula. Why do you need right. a spatula? Because you've already got most of what you need, so most of your spending decisions are made either in deference to what your children need, if you've got small children, or in deference to fashion. But there's only so much consumer activity fashion can drive once you pass 30 or 35 years old and start to value things like long-term savings. So in a world without 20-somethings, statistically speaking, you have no one to consume, which means you have no spending base to compete for with industry. And because you're also running out of 50-somethings, which are where all of your investment capital comes from, which means it's where all your credit comes from, there will be a window of about 10 years, starting now, before the millennials grow into that age bracket, there will be a window of about 10 years where there just isn't money to fund development. But even if there was money to fund development, you need 
good brains that are well-trained and that are young. You need 15-year-old kids to 30-year-olds to do all of your heavy brain work for tech design. That's where it all happens, and guess what Gen Z doesn't have? Brains? People. Oh. Gen Z doesn't have enough people for the top 1% to be a large enough population because we're talking to cognitive top 1% that does this stuff. Mm. And a fraction of the top 1%, because some of that top 1% goes into military, some of it goes in, a lot of it goes into finance. Some of it goes into arts. And some of it goes into the arts. So that fraction of that top 1% is what the entire tech revolution depends on. Now, when you had the boomers biggest generation in history happening all over the world at the same time, that was not a problem. And the Xers following them up, well, there were so many boomers that not a lot of Xers got into the system, so you got really the top 1% of the top 1% of the Xers that got into that bracket. And then you bring the millennials in, but the millennials come in after the financial crisis. And after the um, schools have started taking this training out of the curriculum in favor of other things that are fashionable. So you've got a smaller uh, percentage of the millennials that are going into tech than you had of the boomers or the Xers. And they're going... Are you sure about that? Yeah. Because aren't... I'm talking into tech development. I'm not talking into just anything that uses a computer or even anything at a tech company. Okay, because I, I, th I think like the tech companies, Google and, that's, and Netflix and that sort of thing, are... Really look high. At the design teams. The design teams are still pretty damn small. They always will be. But that's where all the innovation comes from is the design teams. Okay. Product design teams and, and the engineering teams. And the millennials, another big demographic bulge, they come into the tech sector a little underprepared because of the kind of shit that was going on when they were youngsters and in school. Overburdened with debt and... There's not a lot of room for them because the boomers are still working instead of having retired. And the few Xers that made it in are really holding on to their jobs because so many Xers got failed out because there were so few of us. Mm -hmm. We weren't needed. Mm -hmm. And anyway, the, the millennials are now too old to be that class. They're too old to be the brain engine for, the tech, for a tech revolution. So all we've got are the younger millennials that are currently working on the AI models and the old hats that are supporting them. And then you've got the Zoomers, who are smaller, both in absolute numbers and by percentage of the population, than the Xers were. There's no money, there's no brains. Now it's possible that the AI revolution is far enough along that that won't matter. That, that it's, it's hitting a point of commercial viability where it won't have to compete for finance and it won't have to worry about doing major, innovati uh, major innovation hurdles because it's already leapt all the important ones. If that's the case, then AI can be employed to do things like help keep, co keep production costs low so that companies don't go out of business as demand drops. Okay. That will throw a lot I, of people I'm gonna out of work. I'm going to interrupt this to go back to um, you talking about the demographics and percentages and blah, blah, blah. I have been hearing that the Zoomers are a generation that wants to be coding in closets. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You still, you're still only going to harvest the top 1% to do and it heavy do, innovation. It doesn't matter that the generation largely wants to be yeah. coding because there's still not enough of them to do the creative work. That's right. In tech, yeah. just yeah. the back Creative work. and engineering work is a Pareto distributed phenomenon. It's always okay. the top 1%. It doesn't mean that 
a lot more Zoomers aren't going to find jobs in coding. There's lots of low-level coding to do until the AIs get to the point where they can do it all for us, mm-hmm. in which case the jobs aren't going to be in coding. It's going to be in figuring out how, in people who know how to tell the AIs what to make. But uh, in either case, um, AIs could get employed to really soften this demographic transition. Okay. But they could also get completely derailed, and we just don't have any major AI advance for uh, 10 to 30 years. And I really don't know which it's going to be, because I'm not on the inside enough to know where we are in the development of these things. All I'm seeing out here are language learning models, which are impressive, but they're basically glorified, well, language learning models and the art stuff. The language learning models are basically glorified search engines. They're really clever, and you can do amazing stuff with them, especially when you take the guardrails off. They're going to be incredible tools, but they're not quite the breakthrough yet that everyone wants to think they are. And the and, uh, and, you, and you know this if you've ever done customer service with the chatbot, and, and you well, have yeah. any kind of complicated question that you can't figure out from the FAQ file on whatever company's thing you're looking at, you you already know that they do not have any creative thinking. Well, it's more to the point. Systems design, which is the sort of stuff that you really need AI to help with if you want to have it soften this demographic transition. I'm talking about business systems as well as technological systems. Mm -hmm. Systems design has to have a particular sensitivity to and understanding of the limitations you're working in and the second and third order effects of choices you make to work around those limitations. And the AI that is available to the public can't come close to doing that yet. I don't know what's behind the door. And if what's behind the door can leap that chasm, we're talking about some amazing tools that will do some great things. If it's not there yet, the window to get there is almost closed. And we need to look for our next technological revolution in genomics, not in AI. Because genomics is at the point where it can do that. And it's facing a lot of regulatory barriers, and it's a very dangerous field. But if we can negotiate those aspects of it, genomics is going to change everything long before AI gets its shoes on. Doesn't mean AI won't be useful once it comes into its own. But the world that it comes into its own to help with is going to be a very, very different one. So that's what I got for you, Ed. Thanks very much for the question, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty Nakian, and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2023 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the production is copyright 2023 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.